Hey guys, welcome into the Faithful to the End podcast. We're so glad you've decided to join us today. Here you'll find easy access to all of Pastor Dave's sermons and even guest speakers at Graceway Church of Michiana. At Graceway Church of Michiana, we preach expositionally through the scriptures as we feel this is most consistent with the author's original intent in writing and yields both biblically and contextually accurate interpretations. At this time, we would invite you to grab your Bibles as we dig in to the Word of God. Many years ago, I had the chance to go on a mission trip to a foreign field, and and truthfully, uh, it was the farthest field I had ever been to. I'd been to Canada uh, once before, have been a second time since, but this field uh, was not connected to North America, and it was very, very different than anything I had seen or experienced. Many of the native people there lived entirely in a different manner than we do. Next, Right next door to the church was a one-room stone block building with a dirt floor, and that was someone's house. Dirt floor. It was muddy because it was shade uh, underneath that roof, and it was just... It was a rough place, rougher than, than, than anything that we are used to seeing or experiencing here. Uh, poverty was, was terrible, and the trappings of that poverty were all around. The missionary we went to work with that served alongside, honestly, he was a, he was a good man. He loved the Lord. Uh, he deeply loved the people. He knew the people. He knew kind of their lives and what was going on in their lives, and really, to the best of his ability, was trying to reach them with the gospel. His church was composed of just a handful of island people, but it ran, he functioned in that church exactly the way that he functioned or his home church functioned back in North America. And that, to me, was the rub for these island people. It was a struggle for them to get over trying to be Americanized in order to be a follower of Jesus. And it was a hurdle. Throughout my time there, I discovered through conversations with the missionary himself, his philosophy of ministry and his attempts to minister to these unique people, what he was trying to do was first convert them to being Americans, and then convert them to being Christians. And what he did not realize was that was the hurdle for them. That was the struggle. They were having trouble becoming Americans in order to be Christians, right? Uh, One of the things that's important for us to understand is that people in different countries are going to worship Jesus a bit differently than we do. You, you do understand today that if you walked into a church in Africa or in different places in Asia or in South Africa, that you might not feel comfortable. And do you realize that that would be good? Do you realize that's exactly how it should be? You shouldn't walk into a church in a different country and say, man, this is just like home. Something went wrong. Their church should feel like their church, right? But many times, if we're not careful, we actually are doing exactly what that missionary does in our minds. We're trying to apply the truths of Scripture within our context and expecting every other context to apply them the way that we do. 
That's not a reality. It doesn't work that way. It's actually wrong. And I would suggest to us tonight that actually Paul is asserting that throughout Galatians. Paul is asserting that as he goes out in Acts and ministers to the believers or Gentiles in Galatia and they become believers, that their church shouldn't look like the church in Jerusalem. That's part of Paul's rub, right? He's saying, look, they're not going to look like you. Athens isn't going to look like the church in Jerusalem. Corinth isn't going to look like the church in Jerusalem. Philippi, Thessalonica, Berea, Galatia, right? They're not going to look like the church in Jerusalem. This is Paul's fight in a sense. This is what he's arguing for. And whether we like it or not, we often have the exact same mindset as that missionary I went to visit. If somebody walks in and doesn't look like we look, doesn't act like we act, doesn't dress like we dress, sounds a little different. We think in our minds, "Mm, nice person, maybe. I'm not sure they're saved. (laughs) Why? You know what I mean? Why? What, What makes us say that? We, we can have an interaction with a fellow believer that we know well, and they act horribly. They speak with unkindness and hatred to us. We never doubt that one, right? But the one who walks in and doesn't look like us, we say, I hope they make it, right? I hope they get it at some point. Folks, that is not, that is not the message of Scripture. God can, does, will continue to transform people into his image from every culture, not into our image. (laughs) And it's important, it's imperative that we understand that reality. So as Paul continues here, he wants these believers not only to understand the origin and authority that we addressed last week, but what does that mean? as that message is fully accepted and confirmed in our text tonight by the apostles in Jerusalem, the pillars and the influential people that he meets with privately, he wants us, he wants the Galatian believers to understand again the gospel message. Listen to me, that's what Galatians is about, the gospel message. Now, There's aspects of freedom that come in. Certainly there's aspects of justification that come in. There's aspects of the law that come in. That's true. But Galatians, plain and simple, is about the gospel. What is a false gospel? What is a true gospel, right? So as we walk through this text tonight, here's what I want you to see with me. And this is long. It's longer than normal. So hang on. I'll try and say it twice, all right? But here's what we're going to note. You and I must affirm those who declare the gospel of grace. They are not enemies, and we must reject those who seek to enslave and steal our freedom in Jesus. So we reject those who seek to enslave and steal our freedom, and we affirm those who declare the gospel of grace. Why? They aren't enemies. 
And folks, whether we like it or not, there are times that we engage with someone who demonstrates tangibly the gospel of grace. And at times we engage with somebody who doesn't. The one goes to our church. The other one doesn't. And we affirm the one here rather than this one. That, that's what Paul is challenging us and the way that we think. Now, remember the context of this book. Remember where Paul begins. In some respects, in his greeting, he lays out the theme. He's going to defend his apostleship, and then he's going to kind of flesh out the gospel of grace, the gospel of Jesus, what that is. Freedom from the law will enter that discussion. It will. It's going to come up. It really comes up tonight for the first time in this section. So the issue in some ways bubbles to the surface here. Paul hasn't really addressed it yet, but it'll come up tonight. So Paul is longing for these believers and for us to understand the truth of the gospel and to reject the false gospel. To reject this enslaving idea. Now, the implications of putting regulatory demands on believers, actually, at its core, it changes the message of the gospel. And folks, whether we like it or not, we've all maybe seen this to a degree, to an extent. We've seen this kind of thing. We've, we've witnessed it. We've heard it. Let me give you a couple of examples. Uh, I've heard of a believer coming to faith in Christ and coming to join the church, and the pastor of the church says, before you can become a part of this body, before you can partake with this assembly, you have to quit your job because your job, from the perspective of the church, is sinful. At what point are we going too far and adding some regulation, right? Okay, second, second potential issue. What about when we stand up and we say, if you don't attend church faithfully every time the doors are open, you might not be a believer. Now think that through for a moment, right? Now certainly we should be faithful, but why would you be faithful? Because you want to be around God's people. Because you want to learn, hear more of the word and have the word be shaping and transforming me. But folks, think through that mindset. If I'm saying you have to come to church or you aren't saved, then what am I relying on for salvation? Coming to church. And honestly, at some point, you know what that can be then? I can grab my church punch card at the back of the auditorium and I can walk through and punch it, right? And I can punch out. I can sit in my seat. I, I can be here, right? But I, I couldn't care less about this. And all of us have interacted with teenagers who live life that way. They're here, but they're not here. They're somewhere else, right? That's exactly how some believers walk through their Christian walk. I'm in church and therefore I'm saved. Now, please don't walk out and say, Pastor Dave says we don't need to come to church. If you heard that, you weren't listening. All right? If you heard that, you weren't listening. The point is, my motivation is not, I'll be saved if I come. That's error. And we've got to be careful of things like that. Whether we like it or not, we can inadvertently give impressions like that. Right? And what we're doing is adding regulation 
or regulatory demands to the gospel. No, we can't do that. At the core, Paul is actually addressing this issue of the Gentiles becoming Jews and even Jews having to become Gentiles. And we've discussed this a little bit. And again, I clarified this last week a little bit. But I want you to remember in in our minds what Paul's addressing. The gospel of grace plus the works of the law, the perception is that'll equal favor with God. Paul's saying, no, that's not true. That's a lie. That is deception. That is false. So as believers, what is it that we hold? Well, we hold grace plus nothing equals favor with God, right? It's not grace plus working. No, 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 no. That doesn't get favor. Now, that doesn't mean I throw the baby out with the bathwater, right? No, that's not what it means. It doesn't mean now I have no obligation to the law. That's antinomian. That's a problem. Okay, so we're not that either. So we have to be careful. We obey God because we love God, not because we have to obey or he won't love us or won't accept us or we won't have favor with him. You see the difference. We do need to see the difference, right? So this is in part what he's addressing. Remember, verses 11 to 24, Paul's asserting this. The gospel is not his cleverly devised plan. The gospel did not come from men. They didn't sit down in a room and kind of devise and make this whole thing up. Paul says it twice. This is the revelation from Jesus first and then from God second, verse 15. First verse 11, then verse 15. This came from God. God revealed this to me. So this is where Paul is coming from as we transition now 14 years down the road now to Paul's next meeting in Jerusalem to discuss the gospel. Now, in walking through this and several weeks ago in walking through Acts 15, a lot has been made of the the connection of Acts and Galatians 2. And so I'm going to spare you a lot of technical jargon, all right? But depending on who you read, some put Acts 2 or or, or Galatians 2 into Acts 9 at the end of Acts 9. Maybe that's when this meeting occurs. Some say Acts 11. Some say it's Acts 15. And, and, And for a shortened explanation, I will tell you this. I don't think it's any of them. I think Acts 2 is its own animal. It's its own occurrence. It is disconnected from Acts. Now, there is something within most commentators, they want to see a connection. I don't think there is one. All right, And I'll tell you one reason that comes straight out of this passage, right? In Acts 15, what Luke records for us is all what? It's all public. They arrive, there's debate that's going on. Remember in verse 6, Acts 15, 6, debate going back and forth. There's all this discussion. Peter stands up and he says, remember remember back in Caesarea and Cornelius and his house? Remember that? This is what happened. This is what went on. And James says, okay. After Paul gives a one verse, Paul and Barnabas, a one, one verse report, missions report. I love that. This is the other piece that, that does not connect. Paul is the meek, mild, foreign missionary in the church at Jerusalem. And here, 
He is a theological tiger ready to tear your arm off if you stick it in the wrong spot. It's like a different guy in Acts 15 and in Galatians 2, right? So that's the other one. So all of that meeting in Acts 15 is what? It's public, right? Look at what Paul says, verse 2. The end of verse 2, what does he say? But I went up privately to those recognized as leaders. So in part, I think this has to be a different occurrence. That's why, that's all I'll say. But I say that for this reason. We're going we're gonna to walk through this as if it is its own distinct occurrence, and we're not going to talk about Acts 15 and its implications. Though I will tell you, there, there are some implications, and they are fascinating. I'll do my best not to bring them in, right? We'll just talk about Act, or Galatians 2. Okay, so 14 years later, they go to Jerusalem with Barnabas, with Titus. Now that is important because Titus is going to come up. Titus is going to present the initial problem that is the big problem in Galatia. All right, Titus is going to kind of bring that to the forefront. So there's all myriad of timelines as to when this happens and why. And this is why some of those connections are made because they're trying to put a timeline on this 14 years and where it goes. All we know is this, from the time he's talking about earlier to this time, it's been 14 years since he went. Now, why does he go? And I want you to see this again. This is very important, and it's important that we understand what this means, the implications of this for us. A couple of things. Look at verse 2. He says, I went up, why? According to a revelation. Now, stop. Is God today going to speak to you according to a revelation? Not one outside of here, <laughs> right? No, not, nothing outside of here. God's not coming to you tonight and saying, I want you to get up and go down to the train tracks. No, no, that didn't happen. You ate something funny before you went to bed. That, that might happen. That might be the source. But that is not God, right? God is speaking to us through the word. The word is sufficient. We rest on what God has communicated to us about his son in the word, Right? Okay. But this revelation is interesting because as I already mentioned, back in chapter one, Paul has said twice, the message has come from a revelation of God. The message has come from a revelation of Jesus himself. And now God says to Paul, go to Jerusalem. Go to Jerusalem and meet with the church. So what I want you to know is the control, the working of God in the life of Paul throughout this entire interaction. God is driving this. The revelation of God is pushing this engagement. That is critical that we understand that. So he gets this revelation and then he goes and presents the gospel that I am preaching among the Gentiles, but I did it privately with these recognized leaders. And Paul says, then I wanted to be sure that I was not running or had not run in vain. Now, it's easy for us to look at that phrase and say, Paul's going to see whether or not he's been teaching heresy, right? Like like if he's been running in vain, I don't think that's his focus. Paul is not doubting in that statement that what he is teaching is true and right and accurate and directly from God. What is it that he is going to address with them? 
I think it's this relationship of Jew and Gentile. Now, Paul is going to deal with that at length in his epistles. Remember in Ephesians 2, verses 11 to 22, Paul deals with that issue. Jew and Gentile, one together in the church. Paul is going to Jerusalem and saying, guys, are we on the same page? Are we on the same page or am I, am I going in vain because you guys aren't really with me? Is this not true? Is this not accurate? You see what I'm saying? There's kind of this theological tiger as he goes to Jerusalem in this particular visit, right? He's not tiptoeing into Jerusalem and just giving a mission support uh, update. You know what I mean? He, he goes in and he's saying, hey, we're on the same page, right? You guys understand this, right? I, I, I would have hated, I don't know about you, I would have hated to be in a theological debate with Paul, wouldn't you? I mean, would that not have been just, I mean, just give up. Whatever you say, Paul will do. <laughs> it's just going to be easier, you know? So Paul goes, that's what he is addressing, I think. But, but, and he makes this point. Verse 3, this is a very important point. He goes on and he says, but not even Titus, who was with me, was compelled to be circumcised, even though he was a Greek. Now, this is interesting. Paul makes the point before the controversy comes up, before he addresses these pseudo brothers, these false brothers that are in the church, that are, that are sneaking in here. He says before that, he says, the influential people in the church of Jerusalem never mentioned Titus getting circumcised. It wasn't an issue. So this is what he's saying. I, verse 2, I presented the message that I'm giving. Titus is there with me. Remember, we talked about the mark of circumcision. Titus doesn't have it. I explained to them what I'm teaching. And verse 3, they said nothing about Titus needing to be circumcised in order to be a follower of Jesus. Do you see the connection? Okay, now that connection is huge because of the opposition in verses 4 and 5. And it's critical for us to see that. Paul is reporting on this issue of circumcision for the first time in this book. So we know there's this false gospel. We don't know what. We don't know what it is. But Paul now tells us, he kind of hints at it. It's this issue of circumcision, right? Okay, verse 4 and 5. So they go on, and he uses three words that are really interesting. This matter arose, why? Because some false brothers. Now stop right there. Here's the tricky thing with this word. It is literally the word in the original for pseudo and then brother. This is, that is the literal translation. A false brother, a pretending brother. Now stop. I want you to remember how we've talked about false teachers. You know, many times when we talk about false teachers in the church today, how do we talk about them? False teachers are out there, right? We need to oppose false teachers that are out there. Beware of false teachers that are out there. Now, is that true? Yes, of course. But listen very, 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 very carefully. Sometimes we have a false brother on the inside. 
And I think throughout the Gospels and here again throughout the epistles, that is part of the warning. The false brothers, they're around you. They're they're all around you. And you need to beware. How do we know someone's a false brother? How do they treat their fellow believers? That is a significant marker in whether or not someone is a genuine follower. If you're a genuine follower of Jesus, there is transformation and it comes out in how you engage even God's people, right? So look at the description now of these false brothers. What does he say? Look at the three words he uses. Infiltrated, they're trying to spy out our freedom in order to enslave us. Listen. This is like a, a spy movie going on here in verse 4. You know what I mean? I mean, they're sneaking into the body. They are false brothers. They're pretending to be something they're not. They're trying to steal our freedom. They're trying to enslave us. Wow. Right? Wow. And all of that because why? They're demanding something. They're putting a regulation, some regulatory restrictions on the gospel. They're saying, you can't be delivered unless... And folks, listen to me. When we take the gospel out of the arena of you can't do anything to earn this, at that point, it's about us. You see? And that's the danger. That's what Paul is addressing. The gospel is not about you doing, working, fulfilling keeping up with, making sure. It's not about that. It's about being delivered. And once I'm adopted, and for many of us, this is such a foreign idea, but can you imagine being an orphan and being rescued, adopted? Don't you think to some extent, to some degree, your mindset would always be different about the family? You'd always think a little bit differently about that family. I know families that have adopted kids from other countries, China, uh, Eastern European countries, right? And to some extent, to take a child out of a dark, dangerous, really, in some ways, not a good place, and put them to a home here in America, that's a gift. And to some extent, depending on the age of that child, that's a gift they can't even fully grasp. But don't you think at some point that that might hit them? Folks, do you understand that is what triggers in us the loyalty and love and response? There is this transformation that takes place when you genuinely respond to the gospel. God regenerates you and makes you a new creation. And there is this longing. So it's not there. There won't be obedience or faithfulness or love for God and love for others. It's not that that won't happen, but it comes out of this genuine conversion, right? I've put off this old, I'm putting on the new. There is real transformation. So in a sense, the gospel is this miracle of grace from start to finish. It's all about grace. It's all about God's strength at work in us. It's all about his grace to regenerate. It's all about his grace to convert and then continue that process 
until we reach glorification, when it all finishes, when we're transformed fully and finally into his image. Folks, that's the miracle of the gospel. It's God at work in us, not us working, right, to make sure we're okay with him. Folks, every false religion in the world holds that same false truth, which it isn't a truth, but they, they hold that same false idea. We can work for this. No, we can't. And if we're not careful, we do the same thing. And that's Paul's concern. That's why this is such a big deal for Paul. He goes on in verse 5. Again, he's pushing back. He says, we didn't give up. We didn't give any ground. We didn't submit to them even for a moment. Why? For the sake of preserving the gospel. Folks, listen to me. Do you understand that for us as a church, as a body, that's what we're trying to do by the way that we live, by the way that we respond. We want to take part in preserving the truth, the validity, the reality of the gospel. And some of that comes by the way that we live, by the way we respond, by the way we engage, by the way we react, even when we're wronged. That transformation is supposed to be real and evident, right? So the opponents, the opponents are against, that's their response to the gospel, those false brothers. Now, we transition once again to the apostles and the influential leaders, their response to the gospel. We see that again, verses 6 to 10 now. Now we do have a very interesting piece that begins. Verses 6 to 10 in Greek is one sentence. All right, Uh, Paul does that a lot. I personally enjoy it. But other people think it's a run-on sentence. I don't know how. That's probably how we know Paul wasn't married. Before he sent these letters off, his wife wasn't checking for run-on sentences, you know. (laughs) That's what happens to me. All right. Verse 6. He begins by making this point. That these important figures, the end of the verse, verse 6, what does he say? They added nothing to me. Now listen, this is very important. Paul is suggesting, remember, there are opponents in Galatia that are saying, Paul's not the real deal. That's going to come up in verses 6 to 10. Paul is not the same kind of apostle as James and Peter and John. Paul says in verse 6, they didn't add anything to me. What I am, who I am, that comes from God. That's from him. That's not from them, right? Right? So they didn't add anything to me. He goes on in verse 7, verse 7 and 8. Uh, he, he really kind of lays out, he says, I've been entrusted with the gospel for the uncircumcised, and then Peter for the circumcised. And then since Peter, or since the one who's at work in Peter for apostleship to the circumcised, was also at work in me for the Gentiles, and then he gives the confirmation of that from these three guys, James, Cephas, Peter, and John, these were recognized as pillars. Now, why does, P, why does Paul call them pillars? Very likely, this is an inference to their uh, potential perception, even by the opponents. So think of it like this. The opponents in Galatia are saying to Paul, hey, the pillars are in, are in Jerusalem. You're not one of the pillars, right? And so Paul almost, as it were, in quotes, he says, hey, 
uh, uh, James and Cephas and John, the pillars, right? They affirmed me, all right? So there's almost that sense. And I've told you this before, as many times as the author, and Paul does this especially, but as an author will walk through an issue with a congregation, they create almost this mythical opponent. Now, they do that, I think. They do that because they don't want to dignify them. But they also do that to specifically address the issues the opponent is raising. So they address them without dignifying them. But what comes of that for us is all this guessing as to who the opponent really was, right? Who was this guy? We don't know. And we can't be certain. There's all kind of, of conjecture about who this is. And if you read enough, you might go crazy trying to figure out who it is, right? That's not the issue. The issue is there's an opponent, and that's who Paul's addressing. And I think even that comment about the pillars is related to that. Now, one of the things that is an interesting note, we'll see it again next week, but he uses the word circumcised three times. There are different endings for different words, nouns throughout. So in verse 7 and 8, we have the exact same ending. In verse 9, we have a slightly different one. You say, why does that matter to us? I'll tell you. Several weeks ago, when we were talking about this issue of a circumcision party. If you look down at verse 12, we have from the circumcision party. What I want you to observe is that word in verse 12 is identical to the two uses. Same exact word in verses 7 and 8. Now stop. Why does the word change from circumcised in verse 7 and 8 to circumcision party in verse 12? Nothing changed. There's no other word that intimates that this is a party. And that's what I want us to understand. I don't think there is this party, there is this group that develops and they call themselves the circumcision party, right? And they have a flag and they stand at the back corner of the auditorium, right? And they talk about everybody else in the church who doesn't get it, right? I don't think that's going on. What I think we're talking about is Jews. Some of them, I think, are well-meaning, genuine believers who don't truly understand. And I say that because of what's going to come in verses 11 through 14. Even James and Peter and Barnabas were for a moment led astray by that well-meaning side, right? But they acknowledged it. We, we, we were led astray. We, we kind of we got off here a little bit, we're, we're getting back on. We're, we're right. We're, 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 we're making that right, okay? So that's why I think some were right. Some are exactly what Paul calls them earlier in verse 5. They are pseudo-brothers. They look like brothers. They try to act like brothers. They're not. They're not. They've come in to steal our freedom and enslave us. That's the goal, ultimately. And there really is a devious side to them. But, but I don't think that's all of them, okay? And that's what I think can be confusing with this discussion when we're thinking about a whole party that's kind of driving this. All right? I don't think that's what's going on. Verse 10 is interesting. Because as they finish, you would think throughout this, Paul, if he were giving this just as his own kind of rah-rah, Paul, you got it, you've done everything right, Paul would have included verse 10. Because in some respects, as they finish and they are affirming Paul, they do say one thing. Hey, by the way, 
We want you to be careful as you minister to the Gentiles that you show attention to the poor. So in a sense, we could say they're calling Paul out and saying, listen, don't forget this. Well, Paul affirms at the end, well, I've I've been trying to do that. I have, to the best of my ability, been doing that. But that in and of itself, uh, in a sense, speaks to this, not just being from Paul's perspective, but exactly what happened as he engaged with them. Now, remember where we're coming from. Verses 11 to 24, chapter 1, he's built the case, this message is from God. Now, if you remember, in all of those verses, he's saying, that message is not from Jerusalem. It's not from the apostles. It didn't come from the church in Jerusalem. Stop. Now go to chapter 2. He says, I went back to Jerusalem, and what happened? The apostles, the influential people in the church in Jerusalem, the church in a sense through its leadership confirms the message. Now, all of that is important because Paul is making a case for his apostleship and more importantly, for the message he is declaring to the Galatian believers and he doesn't want them to miss it. He doesn't want them to miss it. And what I love about verses 6 through 10 is the unity. In a sense, the apostles acknowledge, Paul, what you're doing is different than what we're doing here. And that's okay. That's good. Keep going. And in a sense, Paul affirms them by coming to Jerusalem and sitting down with them. Right? So there's this acknowledgement We might not do functionally everything the same way, but the message is the same. You can be delivered from your sins through Jesus. That's it. That's the message. Now, hopefully, as we walk through that, you can see that you and I are to affirm those who declare the gospel of grace. They are not enemies, even if they don't look just like us. They are not enemies. But we also are charged to reject those who seek to enslave or steal our freedom in Jesus. And that's an issue. And it's an issue that demands discernment on the part of God's people. Folks, we have to be willing to look past a perception that we have. We have to be willing to look past my expectation that I wasn't expecting that right and now I'm I'm really I feel I don't know what to do with that right there are many things like that that can really kind of unnerve us and as believers we need to be careful that as somebody is yielded to the gospel of grace and longing to know Jesus and grow in his image We lovingly take them in. And somebody that tries to steal or our freedom in Jesus or enslave us back to uh, what Paul is describing here, we say, "Uh, uh, no, 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 no. By God's grace, we want to preserve the gospel for the next generation by responding to things like this, by living the gospel out daily. Many years ago now, in the the 70s, there was a famous Christian singer, and some would not call him a Christian singer, but a instead a rocker, Keith Green. 
and uh, he produced a cartoon caricature of the wrong approach to Christian unity. And I, I found this so fascinating, I had to share it. He had kind of drawn this cartoon of an old fashioned, and he called it telephone kiosk, the place I read it. And I reason he said that in the illustration is because most of you wouldn't know what a telephone booth looked like, right? Some of you know, you know, some of you in high school, you were trying to cram you and your friends all into one of those on Friday night because for some reason that was enjoyable, right? So he took that idea and he translates it into Christian freedom and what that looks like. Outside the booth, as all these people are trying to cram into it, there's a trash can. And on the trash can, there's a label written. And the label is truth. So as each person is attempting to cram themselves into the phone booth that's labeled unity, as they walk by the trash can, they discard whatever truth is necessary so that they can all jump into that phone booth together. Unity, he concludes, is never accomplished this way. And some of you have learned that from experience. The way to get to unity is not to have a list of what will unify us. The way to get to unity as human beings is that we have a point, a common point, a common theme, a common mantra that we all share and that we're all striving for in order to experience real, true unity. If it's not doctrine, you know what it often becomes? Personality. We get focused on that, right? We're going to unify around personality. Ultimately, that, that always falls apart and it falls down. For true believers to enjoy real unity, we have to be committed to real, accurate Doctrine. What is it that binds us together? Folks, think about the Lord's table as we partake in that. What is it? Every time we take that, what do we say? We gather not because we all live in the same neighborhood or even vote for the same people. Right? You say, you're not supposed to say that in church. Yeah, that, that's true though. Right? That, that's not why we take the Lord's table together because we all think the same politically. No. We do that because we all share faith in Jesus by his grace. That's it. That's what brings us together. And listen carefully to me. In some respects, if you think about it, Christian congregations are likely some of the, the most unique people groups. Why? Because for some in this room, you're gathered with people you would never be gathered with outside of the church. You would not connect with some of the people in this room. Some of the people in this room are 40 years older than you, right? Some of them are 60 years older than you. Why would you get together with them? Because you share Jesus. That's why. And that is what Paul is calling this church to and this church to. Do we believe that? Are we living that? Is that a reality for us? The gospel of grace is gained through faith alone in Jesus. Do we believe that? Are we living it? Let's do it. We need grace. We need help. 